Good morning. Welcome to worship. We're glad that we can connect with you who are online with us today. Thank you for being a part of our worshiping community. Many of you uh, are people we know or you know us, and some of you may be new, and we invite you to connect with us through our website, mcfarlandumc.org. If you're in the house and this is your first time with us, we are glad you're here, and we hope that you might grab this welcome connect card from the pew rack in front of you and then uh, leave it with me or one of us after this service or one of the greeters and we'll be glad to give you a, a gift bag today. We're glad you, that you are among us. In the house we're passing connection pads. We invite you to leave your name, let people around you see your name and see who you are so that we can connect with each other here. Help us to pray with you and for you with the prayer request card that's in the pew rack or Go to our front page of our website, and you'll find a prayer request button there. Share your celebrations, share your concerns, and we will pray with you. On September 22, uh, there's a class starting called Pour It on a Page. It's an art journaling class that provides artistic ways to settle your minds, listen for God's voice, pour your thoughts and prayers onto the page through visual journaling. You can read about that on our website. Go to the front page, About, and then jump in. You'll find all kinds of things there, including next Sunday at noon, right after the 11 o'clock service, we're having lunch on the lawn uh, with peach cobbler. Um, I'm hoping to see a few, at least, homemade peach cobblers. And we are also providing peach cobbler and food trucks, right, at no cost. No Scott is paying for the food. And so... Um, <laughs> Uh, we hope you'll be a part of that fellowship. Carnival games and fellowship together. Um, lunch on the lawn, September 25. Bring your friends, bring your, bring your fr neighbors, um, bring your enemies. And we will have love and lunch uh, together. If you haven't checked out our sermon podcast where we rehash the sermon, it's called About That Sermon. I think you can find it on our website, but you can also find it like in Apple uh, Podcasts, etc. And you can listen to the preachers, Modern Worship and this service, talk to each other about that sermon. And, um, you know, if you don't get enough on Sunday, you can get more that way. Some of you need it, Don. So, um, this is the second to last in our sermon series called uh, Love Is, about love does, and etc. And this today, our focus is resilience. Let's remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Would you stand to sing our first hymn, number 111, How Can We Name a Love?
will find the affirmation of faith printed in your bulletin or on the screen. Let us join together in professing the story of God's love as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Good morning. I'm Stephanie Miller, and I'm the director of care and 55 plus ministries here at McFarland. And we here at McFarland are an intergenerational church. And this morning, we want to honor and recognize those members who have reached the wonderful milestone of 90 years old and above. And so this morning, we recognize Marianne Fisher, Aretha Ferguson, Jerry, and Betty Kershaw. We're glad you're here with us this morning. Good morning again. I'm Sandy Minty, Director of Children and Family Ministries, and we're at the other end of the intergenerational spectrum. This morning, we are dedicating our fifth graders who will serve as acolytes in the coming year. And at this service, we have Nora and Jonathan. Come on up here. They'll both be receiving their crosses from two of the women who serve with us, Polly Oliver, um, Cheris Freeman was here at the earlier service, and Carol Fain. So the acolytes are a very, very important part of worship. As you could all see, they are the first ones who come down the aisle every Sunday. They come down with their candlelighter, candle lighters, and they're carrying in the light of Christ. When the candles are lit on the altar, Christ is among us, and worship can begin. Uh, part of their responsibilities are also helping with baptism. Each time we have a baptism of a child or an adult. And then at the end of each service, you see them come up, take the light back on their candlelighter, and walk back up the aisle. The symbolism for us as worshipers is that that light of Christ goes back out into the world. And we, as followers of Christ, follow that light out to serve and to share his love and his light with all we meet during the week. So what you do is very important each Sunday, and we thank you for serving. Let's turn around right now, and you'll receive your crosses. Come over to the altar. There you go. And do you have those? Perfect. And then Pastor Rockford will have a blessing. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's pray. We give you our thanks, O oh God, for your faithfulness over all the years of our life. And so we're glad and grateful for those who are 90 years and older and for these who are younger and who are leading us. Now bless them. We pray that they would feel the sense of um, significance as they help us in worship, as they lead us in and lead us out so that we might share your light, your love, your help with all the world. With grateful hearts, we receive these and those others with them into this ministry. Bless them, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for serving. Let us continue in this time of prayer as we join our hearts and lift up our prayers to God. So let us pray. Oh, holy God, we pray this day for 
all of those in transition. God, for those who may be getting married or for those whose relationship is ending, for those with newborns and infants and toddlers and preschoolers and elementary-aged children and tweens and high school-aged youth, for all of the transitions of childhood and parenting, for those who may be retiring, for those who are moving, for those who have been diagnosed and those awaiting surgery, for those in treatment, in therapy, in recovery, for those in hospice, for those in grief, recognizing that we are all, in truth, in transition from what was through what is into what is yet to be. And so, God, we pray for liminal time, a time not sure of what is ahead, for the good and the hard gifts of new paths, that they might be for us a place and a time of resilience, eternally full of your presence, O oh God. And so, God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, and we lift up all of those things that are on our hearts and minds to you today, knowing that you are faithful. And we know that Jesus is the one who was and is and will be with us always. And so we pray together the prayer that he taught us, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I would love to invite all of the children who are here today to come forward for our children's moment. And as they do, let us watch this wonderful video of our children teaching us what love is. Come on forward. I say I love you every day. Well, being kind to them, hanging out, and being a good friend. I like do stuff they say. I make stuff. I draw for them. I love hugging people. Helping them through stuff they um, like need help with. Well, I do kind stuff for them. Like, for example, if mom lost her phone on accident, like yesterday, like, I'd try and find it and I'd be helpful to my family. I'm kind and like if someone needs help, I'll help them.
Good morning. And good morning to any children who are watching on the live stream. So I've got to be honest with y'all. I woke up this morning and I really thought about not coming to church to talk to y'all. I've gotten so frustrated this week with my friends, with work, with just all the circumstances of my life and just people in general and the world in general. And I'm ready. I packed up all my stuff, put it all in my car, and I'm ready to drive off into the woods and find a cave somewhere and just live by myself. And just come back into town occasionally to go to Walmart, but even there, I wouldn't talk to anybody. I'd use the self-checkout and just be done with the world and live my life in my cave in the woods. What do y'all think about that? It sounds cool. Well, I'm not really sure about it yet. Um, you know, and so, so that, that little bit of uncertainty in my brain just made me think, well, maybe I'll come to church because y'all have helped me out before. Uh, trying to figure out if that's really a good idea or if maybe there's another way I can deal with things. And seeing, seeing some of you and your friends up there on the video made me think about stuff. And then knowing that we're, we're talking about love here in the church right now, I, I went and found this Bible verse that I think we're, we're reading right now. So let's see if it says anything and if y'all can help me out. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I think that's what I'm supposed to think about. What do y'all think that's telling me to do? What do you think? Stay and unpack my bags? Why do you think I need to stay? Oh, okay, yeah. I think it's telling me Maybe I can handle stuff better than I think. What do y'all think? Yeah? I'll give it a try, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, I get easily confused and I forget things. So, so for me to hear it when I say it, I'd also like to hear things when y'all say it. So we're going to do an echo prayer. So I'm going to say part of the prayer and then y'all say it back to me. That way, if I hear it twice, it might stick in my brain and I might not get so emotional and run off into the woods. So let's pray. God of mercy, sometimes we get so frustrated with the world and all the people in it. Send your Holy Spirit into our minds and hearts so we can love the world the way Jesus taught us. In his name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing hymn 534, Be Still My Soul, hymn 534. <laughs>
It's a beautiful thing when we can come together on a Sunday morning and celebrate those who are in their 90s and commission those young people who will help lead us in worship. I love being a part of a congregation that walks along people throughout their various paths of life. When things are good and when things are difficult, McFarland is consistently there to help share the love of Christ in real and tangible ways. And as we enter into this time of offering, it's a, an opportunity for us once again to make a statement that we want to be a part of changing lives that change the world. So thank you very much in advance. You may be seated.
You may be seated. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And this morning I'll be reading from the Message Translation. Hear now these words. No matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love never cares more for others than for self. Excuse me, love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always. Love always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. We are blessed, O oh God, to be loved by you. And we want to love well. And so pour out your Spirit upon our lives, into our relationships. Help us to let this love flourish in our living. Teach us through these words today, we pray. In the way and the name of Jesus, amen. So do you bounce out of bed in the morning with a song on your lips and a skip in your step? Or is it kind of like hiking through a swamp to the alarm clock and then falling back into bed? Would you say you're resilient, possessed of that bounce-back quality? Wayne was a retired salesman. He was living on this beautiful little acreage in the foothills of the Quartz Mountains in southwest Oklahoma. I know they're actually hills, but we call them mountains. Beautiful little place and trees, and we went out there for dinner. I was his pastor. I was new, relatively new in the, in the town, and we were there for dinner. And I had noticed, of course, already that Wayne was chipper and bright and positive. So as we talked about things over dinner, I remarked how happy and positive he was, and was he always that way? And his wife said, oh, yes, he jumps out of bed in the morning singing and whistling, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> Resilience. That ability to regain strength and composure after being knocked down, after stumbling, to rise again. Love is resilient. People who love well and experience love well are characterized by the ability to return to loving behavior every time they feel challenged or offended, hurt, or suffer setbacks. 
So in our continued exploration of the chapter we call sometimes the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, our focus today is what you heard in the children's moment and heard it another way in that reading. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Those words have resilience just flowering out of them, every phrase. In fact, the literal rendering of love never ends is love never falls down and stays down. Never ends or quits or dies or runs out of willingness. Love bounces back. It's resilient. The, the all things, all things, all things that you hear repeated is a reference in particular to all the realities that typically occur in relationships among persons grouped together in families or the workplace or the school or the church or even in the wider society and the social culture. Love that is rooted in the capacious and extensive love of God in Christ has an enormous, robust, and bodacious scope and capacity. So there are these four staccato declarative bursts affirming the resilience of a spirit-energized love. And while it's love that generates all four, bear, believe, hope, endure, the middle two, faith and hope, trusting and optimizing, I think there's something like the generating engine of the outer two, the bearing and the enduring. When God's love for us in Christ and our love for God and for others generates faithfulness to the way of God and hope in the faithfulness of God, then no matter what, by trusting and being filled with hope, we become more capable of bearing all and enduring all. You may remember there's another scripture that says, love covers a multitude of sins in 1 Peter. And that same thought, that thought of covering is in this word, bears all things. Literally covers all things. Even covers all things in silence, like a roof covers a room and protects its contents and keeps things dry and safe. Love protects relationships the family, the church family, the marriage bond, the healthiness of workplace relationships. It provides for safety and an environment of loving, working, playing, and growing. Another way to say that is love endures all things. Love is resilient, and it nurtures and encourages growth in resilience. And that resilient quotient of love is rooted also in what we believe. As we say in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the resurrection and in the life everlasting. 
And in a sense, we believe that the, this spirit-energized love is ever-elastic, resilient, does not fall down and stay down even at death. We believe that the love of God won't let us stay down, but raises us up in the mystery of God's eternity with a winged spring in our step, so to speak, a song in our soul that lasts forever. Love never fails in final fatality. We also affirm in the creed I believe in the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't say in the forgiveness of my sins, although I believe that. You probably do too. But just sins. Very much all the sins that can occur in relationships, all the offenses, we believe in the forgiveness. And love would invite us to say, I believe I am called to practice forgiving those who sin against me as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us ours as we forgive them theirs. Those who step over the line and step on us and cross our boundaries and offend us, forgive them. Since love is resilient and covers a great list of sins, and since love bears and endures all the relationship hiccups and hurricanes, then the meaning here is, of course, pointedly inclusive of forgiveness. In commenting on this text, in a written commentary, Paul Sampley says, this chain of things, bears, believes, hopes, all things, all things, all things, represents a kind of running forgiveness that is an ingredient to any sustained relationship. So step with me into the story of Jesus about two-thirds of the way through the Gospel of Matthew. Opposition now has grown against Jesus, and things have become more clear and more intense, and it won't be long until Jesus will be brutally executed, and Jesus and his followers are going from town to town on foot, of course, clothed in their first-century Middle Eastern garb. And Jesus is often teaching his followers and teaching others. And on this day, they're in Capernaum, a fishing village of about 1,500 people on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, that big lake. And Jesus spends a little time being very direct with them and very assertive with them about sin. He launches into that conversation because they ask him, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In God's estimation, Jesus, who's the greatest? And Jesus if we imagine the scene, calls a child over who's playing nearby, perhaps, puts the child in the middle of this adult conversation next to him and says, you need to focus on humility like a child, not on who's greatest. Authentic 
honest, that innocent aspect of children, not yet thinking about career and power and success or having status, standing over others. Humility, he's telling them, is the greatest virtue. The child runs off to play, and Jesus continues talking with his followers about not offending others, not taking advantage of the vulnerabilities of others. Don't offend children and don't offend people who are vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. And he says, remove anything in yourself that causes you to hurt and offend others. And he tells them, if you are truly offended, sinned against, then take intentional steps to resolve and heal the relationship. To summarize and paraphrase what he said. And about this time, Peter, this kind of, um, you know, alpha male disciple, this... Uh, D on the DISC profile for leadership assessment, a dominant, assertive, speaks up and he says, Lord, if my sister or brother sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times. Jesus says to him, not seven, 77. Or, if you want to translate it the way it can also be translated, 490 times, 7 times 70. Well, we, on, we can only imagine what Peter said because it doesn't tell us. Because maybe it can't be put in this text. Because maybe he's using language that he uses on the boat when he's out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. In a response to a very similar teaching in Luke 17, when Jesus says, if someone offends you seven times in one day and seven times repents, you must forgive seven times. And there the followers react by saying, in unison it appears, increase our faith. Like, this will take a miracle. Seven times, the same person comes to me and says he's sorry. We cannot swallow that bitter pill seven times a day. No way, they're saying, as if, as if to retort back to Jesus, who do you think we are? that we would have that kind of ability. Nobody is resilient like that. To be knocked down seven times by some out-of-control antagonist and seven times believe that the person's actually sorry and forgive. In that instance, Jesus is basically saying, you're right. Bouncing back with forgiveness the second time and the fourth time and the sixth time and seventh time. Well, and here's, here, I imagine Jesus looks across, uh, across the way, across the street or something, and there's a, there's a big, mature black mulberry tree. 
It's 40 feet tall, and it has a canopy that reaches out 45 feet across. And Jesus says to them, I get it. It's no easier than you walking over there, throwing your arms around that tree, pulling it up out of the ground, and giving a heave and tossing it over the houses, landing it out there in the lake. But, he says, if you have genuine faith, if you have this love-defined, love-generated, God-defined faith, you can just say to that tree, go jump in the lake, and it will. Now, of course, Jesus is not trying to say that we're going to get physical or psychical superpowers. But just to say, it can be done. People can forgive. We can actually bear all things and endure all things and repeatedly rise to the occasion with a running forgiveness at the intersection of repentance and forgiveness. Why, though, why would we want to be so resilient? Why put up with repeat offenders? Why not give up, quit, get, get up and walk out? Well, now, there are times, parenthesis here, there are times when it's the correct thing to do to walk out. Abuse should not be tolerated. Endangering health and well-being and life is, is not to be tolerated. But here, we're talking about relationships, not at the extremes of emotional, physical violence and abuse, etc., but in this broad spectrum of typically and sometimes quite challenging relationships, love both expects and empowers such resilient, repeated effort. Why? Because we also need forgiveness. Because we are recipients of the persistent forgivingness of God, that running forgiveness of God. Because forgiving others means we let go of the parasitic anger and the resentment that is eating at us and stealing our joy and decaying our relationships because forgiveness expands resilience and resilience enables forgiveness. And that reciprocal action becomes an upward spiral to grow our relationships stronger, more enduring, more enjoyable. After the murder of his mother in 1996, Everett Worthington began thinking about how the practice of forgiveness relates to justice and faith and virtue. And he came to the point where he forgave the murderer, as did his brother and sister, but the emotional fallout was devastating, actually. His brother in 2005, committed suicide. 
Now, Everett was educated as both a psychologist and a nuclear engineer, and he was a professor of psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University. And from 1998 to 2005, he directed a campaign for forgiveness research, a nonprofit organization that actually, during that time period, awarded more than $6 million to study forgiveness. Even in his retirement, ever resilient, Worthington has continued to pursue. And the research shows, as reported according to the Resilience Center, that forgiveness is not doing nothing. Because that will end up with either an eventual victim or survivor reaction. Forgiveness is not reaction. Forgiveness is response to being sinned against, to being offended, even to trauma in a direction that is more helpful for everyone. A proactive response, the research says, is taking the steps toward a more positive future regardless of the hurt that's inside. A proactive response is doing the opposite to what we may feel like doing. It can change the offending, offended relationship to move in a new direction. It can channel the energy towards a different goal. Real forgiveness does that. It channels the energy where it belongs, and it is neither self-seeking, seeking revenge, and, and it's not being a doormat. Love-generated forgiveness is positive-responsive, not negative-reactive. So are you in a relationship, um, whether interpersonal, such as marriage or siblings or parent-child, that's stealing your joy, consuming your good energy? Have you run out of resilience and filled up with resentment? Do those seven times per day feel like 77? Worthington has a practical guide to forgiveness that he calls REACH, an acronym for uh, recall the hurt, empathize with the offender, altruistically give forgiveness, commit to forgive clearly and, and accountably, and hold on to the forgiveness. So let me just run through those briefly. First, recall the hurt. Visualize the incident or think through the how and the why of the moment you felt or realized that you had been offended or hurt or sinned against. Face the facts, of course, as you know them. Arrive at saying, what I remember is this. I heard this. I saw this. I inferred this as an explanation then of what happened. And this is what I think happened, and this is why I think it happened. Secondly, empathize with the other person. So you could pretend that the other person, he says, is in an, in an empty chair across from you, and her or his perception and intent might be different than you recall. So talk to that person imaginarily, pour your heart out, and then when you've 
when you've had your say, go sit in that chair pretending you're that person who offended you and talk back to yourself. Imagining what that person might say that if they were trying to help you understand why and how that happened. And that can help build empathy. The third thing is to altruistically, generously give forgiveness as an unselfish gift. We can probably remember some times we have wronged someone and have been forgiven, a parent, a teacher, a family member, a friend, and that person forgave us and how we felt liberated and free, light, uh, happy about that. And then we did not want to dis disappoint that person. We didn't want to do that six more times. By forgiving unselfishly, you can give that same gift of liberation and freedom and even changed behavior to someone else. And then, fourthly, commit to forgive clearly and accountably. So once you're forgiven, you might even write down, you know, on your, a page, a paper, a, in a journal, something like, uh, today I forgave and put the name there, for hurting me. This memorializes and fastens the forgiveness that you have given in your heart. It helps increase your resilience, even as it helps the other person. And when appropriate, of course, offer or deliver that forgiveness directly to the person. Learn how to do that well. Um, you know, it's easy to sit in your home and decide in your head that, I, well, I forgave that person, but I'm not telling them. Be clear and be accountable. And then hold on to forgiveness. Forgiveness can fade and the feelings go away and the hurt come back and argue with you and say, did you, what, why did you forgive that person? You never should have forgiven that person. What were you thinking, we say to ourselves. And certainly not the second time and not the fourth time and not the seventh time. I'm such a fool to forgive that fool. So the point here is to hold on to the value and the reality, the virtue of forgiveness, bear, believe, hope, endure. Loving forgiveness has a way of bringing others to realize their errors and begin the correction. The Scripture teaches us that. Overcome sin with goodness, in relationships that are anywhere near doable. Love, of course, may stumble seven times a day, but it's never in the nature of love to stay down. Love may shake and bend with the force of storms and quakes, but it cannot be broken. Love is eternal. 
even though we don't always experience it that way. It's as if love is saying, you can bend, but you can never break me. You, love can do anything. Love is strong. Love is invincible. When it's knocked down, it comes back even stronger than before. Love is resilient. The love of God in Christ is resilient, magnanimously, eternally, and it can empower our resilience. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that you would help us to rise higher, a little closer to this standard of love so that we might bless each other and bless the world and bring hope and change and help and healing to a world who too often wants to fight and take revenge. May we be those who lead with love again and again. In the name and the way of Jesus, Amen. So if, you're, if you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian disciple, if you, if you have questions about forgiveness and how that works and repentance and all of that, um, we're always open to visiting with you. Feel free to come uh, while we sing if you want to talk or join the church, but also catch us at the back or email us or um, if we can help you, we want to help. So let's stand to sing this hymn number 580, Help Us Accept Each Other.
Forgiveness is the toughest topic. Through all my years as a pastor, it's the one sermon topic that gets the most, uh, I think, feedback and response. Because it's an honorary thing in the human endeavor. A challenging thing. And there's a lot of complicated pieces to it. But you know, God loves perfectly and endures all and hopes all for us. If you're struggling with forgiveness and relationships and that kind of thing, you know, reach out because there's always, there's always healing and help and hope. And may the God of all hope fill you with such joy and peace in believing that hope may abound in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.